Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Rish Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Isaac Elias. Dr. Elias has been a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine since the early 1980s, with a focus on cancer, immune health, detoxification, and mind-body medicine. He's a respected clinician, researcher, author, and educator, and a lifelong student and practitioner of Buddhist meditation. His nonprofit organization, Amitabha Wellness Foundation, sponsors low-cost and no-cost health education events and also provides assistance for homeless children by supporting health and nutrition, education, and self-empowerment services. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So maybe you can just get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in medicine. I'm in my early 60s, and I'm a native of Israel. And I have had the interest in medicine from an early age. I got involved with healing arts at the age 15, actually, when my father was a civil engineer in Korea, where I actually learned Taekwondo and yoga. And when I went to medical school in Israel, which is a seven years process, I knew that I'm going to do holistic integrated medicine. I became a yoga teacher. I taught in yoga teachers courses, learned Shiatsu, created a three years course for acupuncture to really learn myself and herbal medicine. And then I decided that then I was quite successful at too early of an age. I decided it's a good time to take time off and came with my wife and my daughter to the United States to get a master of science in Chinese medicine. And this is like 1989. And throughout all these years, my specialty has been integrative oncology, how to cure illnesses in mind-body medicine. So I've spent decades learning and meditating, 10 years doing a half-day retreat, and for 20 years going to the mountains, two months a year. And somehow it all got synthesized into the connection between meditation and healing. So I'm a clinician, I'm an innovator, I'm a researcher, I have NIH grants on my work, but in the same time, I'm also a healer. So it's a certain holistic integration and you know I've accumulated a lot through my life and I feel now it's time for me to share on a broader scale. That's why I wrote my book, The Survival Paradox, which really encompasses in a relatively simple way some of these holistic principles. Maybe you can explain to me what, what is the survival paradox exactly? We recognize in medicine now, the COVID really make it, made it very clear, the role of inflammation in degenerative diseases, in organ dysfunction with a cytokine storm. Integrative medicine has known it for decades, but is really inflammation is really the issue. Inflammation is really a result. So when we look at what drives inflammation, what drives inflammation is our survival response. So the same thing that is innate within us, is automated within us, that allows us to survive it usually doesn't turn off. And then it creates a cascade of damaging inflammatory consequences, hyperimmunity, abnormal immune response that is practically responsible for every chronic disease and also responsible for driving death in sepsis, in acute kidney injury, in COVID, in really in multiple acute and chronic conditions. And that's really the paradox. We need to be able to sustain and preserve our survival response, but not make it turn on us. It's like an alarm clock that doesn't turn off. So I've come to this understanding through my meditation, through my contemplation, but in the same time, I've researched a protein called galactin-3, which I coined the survival protein. It's one of the alarmings. 
And as the research started in oncology in the early 90s, where I got involved, it expanded. I made a lot of important discoveries about blocking it and how it affects inflammation and fibrosis. So I've really come to this place from an internal introverted exploration and contemplation and through research. So both these worlds, you know, the scientific world and the more holistic world have come together. And this is presented through this concept. It's a really a new paradigm in medicine because it gives you a different way of looking at our health. And it also gives you tools to improve our health. That image you draw of an alarm clock that doesn't go off, that sums it up very nicely. I can just kind of think about the stress I feel in that first minute of waking up. And if I felt that all day, what that would be like, I would probably get very old very quick. So as you've gone through your career, what are some of the insights around aging and chronic disease that you have that you know now that maybe you didn't know when you began the journey? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, some principles are evident in holistic approaches, but what I realized is this concept which is becoming popular of inflammaging, this chronic underlying stress, this chronic underlying challenge, like you said, an alarm, but you can hear the alarm very loud and then you move to the other room, right? And you hardly hear the alarm, mm-hmm. but you still hear it and your body still responds. Mm-hmm. So we have our immediate response, the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, and we have the biochemical issue. So I, I really come to the recognition that addressing it creates a basis for better healing. The other part that I come to recognize by treating you know, thousands of people and seeing really remarkable benefits for people and having the privilege to encounter amazing patients that I really learned from is that we really have a choice. We really have a choice, you know, and I think that it's something I've been talking and teaching for decades about the time goes backward and forward and we are multidimensional, multi-generational, and we can change things. But now genetics and epigenetics really support this. We have our genetics, which is really predetermined. But we have a choice. You know, in Hebrew, there is a very famous Talmudic saying that says, Everything is predetermined, but we have a choice. The epigenetic is our choice. So part of our healing is letting go of what needs to be let go of, healing our scars of survival in this life and from past lives. And in my book, The Survival Paradox, when I come to the last three chapters, 14, 15, 16, which are detoxification, healing the scars of survival, and then freeing the survival paradox. I tell my own story as coming from a Holocaust survivor, how it affected my grandmother, my grandfather that I'm named after, and how by doing my own healing, it affected my mother, which didn't know that I'm doing this. So this is a multi-generational power. So if I had to summon it in one sentence, I would say that Not everybody is going to be a miracle, but anyone can be a miracle. And the reason is because scientifically, if we look at our reality, our reality is ever-changing. Nothing is solid. Nothing stays the same. The survival response, the abnormal survival response, is our lack of ability to accept, to recognize that everything is changing. So... When we recognize it and we work on it, then things start to shift. And then really what's important, no matter what treatments you're doing, if a cancer patient does radiation therapy or chemotherapy or immunotherapy, or they do integrative approaches, when you bring this understanding 
into the picture, the results will be better and life becomes more meaningful. So it's a journey. It's an incredible journey. My experience with patients is that oftentimes when severe health conditions are in front of them, like you mentioned, cancer, heart disease, or other chronic illnesses, they'll often turn to what is often called Western medicine, as well as Eastern medicine or philosophies to try to essentially do whatever they can to try to make their life as comfortable and as fulfilling as possible. But on the other side, physicians, I think, are often much more entrenched in a belief system around, let's say, Western medicine, or if you practice Eastern philosophies, then maybe that. And it feels much more antagonistic, where the two sides say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, or that doesn't make sense, or that's not grounded. When you talk to physicians, what is your sense on how open they are to things like Buddhist philosophy, or you talked about healing scars that are multi-generational? How does that land on people uh, when they hear you speak about those things? Look, you brought up a very important point, because antagonism is everywhere. We see it right now in our country, right? <laughs> Around so many levels. So a conventional doctor can be antagonistic of alternative medicine, and an alternative doctor will be antagonistic of conventional medicine. It's the same antagonism, it's the same stuckness, just the labels are different. So being open-minded is key, and being open-minded is the basis of patient-driven medicine. Now, when I see a patient, an oncological patient saying, I'm afraid to ask my oncologist because they will kick me out, I mean, I can't even comprehend this concept. It's really a patient-driven medicine. Our re responsibility as healers, doctors, healthcare providers is to hold the patient and allow them to make the best decision for them by creating space. So some doctors have more openness and it's our conceptual logical mind that gets us because we are very confined to linear two-dimensional reality. And I'm talking as I can say an accomplished researcher, you know, I mean, hopefully I'm going to get a very large multi-million grant on a very important sepsis AKI, it's phase two from the NIH. I have, you know, dozens of published papers, close to a hundred different patents. So I can say I'm a researcher, you know, yet what drives me is not the research. What drives me is the insight, the multi-dimensional insight. That's where I get my ideas. The research allows me to validate it. So as long as we are open-minded and we are humble enough to recognize that we don't know everything, that what we believe in may be true and may not be true, then the door is opened. And the inability to let go is a survival response. You know, I think about in my career, how many concepts in medicine I let go of. I looked at them, I evaluated them without prejudgment. And if some made sense, I worked with them. If they didn't, I dropped. It's very hard for a doctor that is invested in a certain way of thinking. And that's part of the stuckness. That's part of the hyperviscosity. That's part of the inflammation and fibrosis. You see, we talk about fibrosis as a physiological process, right? A pathological. But fibrosis is also a mental process, you know, getting stuck, not allowing things to flow. So healing comes in a multidimensional. And as part of this, some people will say, oh, Isaac, you really think out of the box to tell them? There was never a box to begin with. There is no box. There is no Western medicine. There's no East and West, depends how we define it on the, on the circle, right? So we get stuck with concepts. And as long as we recognize it, life is always exciting and life is always a journey because I am now different than I was 20 minutes ago. You asked me new questions. It got me thinking. 
I probably shared some information with you that got you thinking. Things change. That's the secret of medicine. That's why anything and everything is possible because everything is changeable. Your example of severe illness is one that I can definitely relate to. I can see how that would make sense and how inflammation and that hyperviscosity can cause problems. Do you mind sharing some more commonplace examples, things that maybe people don't even notice because they're so common in their daily lives where it could be caused by that survival paradox and how it could potentially not serve them well? Yeah, simple things like feeling stress in the body, like having tension headaches, like having a slow digestion, like having sluggish energy, like being overreactive, like not sleeping well. They're all a part of congestion. And often we are not aware of it. So the first step, and actually I get to it only in the last chapter of my book, because my, my second book is called Open Heart Medicine. That's why I go deeper into the meditation, transformative meditation. But I give the door when you go through this journey of the book at the end. When we slow down, when we slow our breath, when we slow our mind, we create space between the breath, space between the thoughts, stuff comes up. And this stuff that comes up are things we're not aware of. So somebody is getting aware, wow, I'm actually exhausted. Yeah. I actually haven't eaten well for a long time. And actually I'm upset at this person. And then the meditative process, the transformative process is not what comes up. Some people have amazing experience. Some have bad experiences. All of us are different. It's our response to what we experience. If something difficult comes, something that can upset us and we respond with anger, that's a survival response. If something comes and we understand the root of this difficulty and our heart opens with love and compassion and understanding towards ourselves and towards others, we are starting to transform the survival paradox. And that's why there are so many studies on the healing power of love and compassion. And the amazing thing, the reason why it's relatively easy to start the process we are built to do it. Our physiology is built to correct this misunderstanding. It's part of our journey here. And why would I say it if I can take another minute? Is because if we look at our body, we have, I don't know why they say 37.5 trillion cells, let's say 50 trillion okay, mm-hmm. to round the number. So 50 trillion, thousand times thousand is a million times thousand is a trillion times 50. What I didn't know until some time ago is that each cell has up to 1 million reactions a second. So imagine all these 50 trillion cells, 1 million reactions a second, all working together in harmony. This is the mutual support of our body. Where each cell knows that it has its own survival, so it has its own boundaries, right? The membrane, it decides what it takes in, what it lets go. It takes in nourishment, it lets go of toxins but it also has some kind of relationship with the environment. When one cell goes into a survival mode, decides I'm not going to die, I wanna live forever, I'm going to shield myself and create a micro environment, which it does with this protein, I researched galactin-3, that will use modified citrus pectin to block it. So it shields, it creates a micro environment, it starts growing on its own, and how do we call it? We call it cancer. And so if you look at the body, the cells, the tissues, the organs, they all function in this way. The only organ that functions differently is the heart. The heart of survival, the survival of the heart depends on getting all the dirty blood from everybody. 
right? All the stuff that the body doesn't want. Without it, the heart won't function. We connect with the universe through our breath. We do this exchange of oxygen with carbon dioxide. That's the transformative quality. And then the heart gives. The heart gives with no judgment, with no discrimination. The aorta, as you know well, is a stiff artery. It doesn't decide if the blood goes up or goes down. But who does the heart nourish first? The heart nourishes itself first through the coronary artery. So the heart nourishes itself in order to nourish others and is part of nourishing others. So that's the healing power of the heart. And that's like open heart medicine allows for infinite healing potential. And what's amazing, if you look at the physiology, the heart is the only organ that nourishes itself after it finished its work, you know, think about it. It could have hit the coronary arteries right inside the, huh. the left atrium, yeah. the blood is clean, right? The left ventricle, no, no, no. It finishes its work. It has done its selfless job and then it takes care of itself so it can serve others better. Hmm. So that's just a small example. In my book, I have dozens of stories of patients. And the idea is not just about certain treatments or protocols. It's about giving all of us a deeper understanding of who we are, of what health means and how we can heal. So the survival paradox is really a, a journey. And I look at the most important organs, heart, kidney, liver, lungs, immune system, metabolic, neuroinflammation, from this angle, from more holistic, like eye-opening. Then at the end, I give about 70, 80 pages of specific protocols. Now in my practice, I bring it into practice the way I treat people. And one innovative thing that I do is I use a process called therapeutic apheresis, where we filter the plasma and we move inflammatory compounds from the body. And that's a very important way to rejuvenate and allow the body to readjust and recalibrate. So that's the innovative part in me. But the way I work, the way I teach is really very much connected to very basic universal principles that are in all of us, regardless of our belief system. We all have a heart that has to get venous blood and has to give arterial blood, you know, otherwise we won't be talking right now. <laughs> you know, I know the anatomy of the heart pretty well. I've never thought about it that way. It's a very interesting perspective on the fact that the left ventricle does its full job. And in fact, that is defined as work, as you said, and, and that right. it nourishes itself. It's, it, that's exactly right. You mentioned in your book this, this idea, and I'd like you to expand on it a bit for me, of readers trying to soften their grasp on survival and the importance of that. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Like, what does that mean to soften your grasp on survival? Because the survival response is so innate within us, you know, like the sympathetic system is automated, we have an innate tendency to react. We react to outside or everything that comes to the senses, we grasp what we see, what we hear, and we believe it's, it's solid. You know, when things change on us, we get upset if we like them. We are happy if we don't like them. And we also grasp our own thoughts, feeling body sensation, right? One thought that carries another thought that carries another thought. And we become very tight and we have no opportunity to create a space. So the very basic beginning of meditation, I have a diagram in my last chapter where the thoughts are one next to the other and you create space and suddenly insight memories start coming up and then dealing with it is part of the transformation. That's how I really help people with PTSD, for example. 
but this has a profound physiological effect because when we are so congested, we move from aerobic metabolism to anaerobic metabolism, to glycolysis, because glycolysis produces energy 100 times faster, but at a heavy cost, only two molecules of ATP for glucose and a lot of lactic acid and abnormal metabolism. So the metabolism shifts into survival metabolism, and basically this drives every chronic disease, from diabetes to, of course, cancers with the Warburg effect, which even as the presence of oxygen, there's still what you call aerobic glycolysis. So just taking a deep breath, just creating space and reducing the reactivity is profound. And you know, it's not a simple thing with electronics, with the EMF, with being bombarded with email. You know, now people expect your response time to be in seconds, right? In minutes. I mean, if somebody sent you a text and you didn't respond for a day, oh my God. You know what I found? I actually go to this habit that I wait two or three days for my email and you know what I found out? Yeah. Nothing happens. <laughs> you know? The world didn't change and people accept it. You know, yeah. my God, he's going to get back to me in a throwaway. He'll have more time to think about it. Yeah. And the time that I fall into the trap and respond too fast, I fall into the survival mode. So. Yeah. So these are the small things. If we want to change our health, if we want to change our well-being, start with small things. Don't try to change the huge things. Make small commitment, make small steps, and then slowly build up on them because you'll be less disappointed. And it's self-perpetuating release and unwinding. I appreciate you saying that. I actually noticed I was feeling stressed during the day, like what you're describing, and so I deleted uh, notifications off my phone, so I don't receive any notifications. And of course, I'm therefore a little slower to respond, but it has been uh, a world of difference for me because obviously now I'm much more present with my, I have a five-year-old son. My son and I spend time and I'm actually focused on him now. And it's been a very healthy move. And so I appreciate you sharing that anecdote because it makes me feel like what I did has a, has a scientific background to it. Definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you do a lot of work with Amitabha Medical Clinic and Healing Center. Do you mind talking a little bit about that and how you help your patients overcome the survival paradox there? Yes. So really overcoming the survival paradox is part of healing. So it really starts in the first encounter where the patient writes a summary of what they think is important. I still have to fill the questionnaires, but now a lot is Zoom, but in normal times, the waiting room is the biggest place in the clinic. It is in the center and it's the biggest, most beautiful space because we are all holding the patient. It's not like there is a room in the outskirts and you come in the other way around. The patient has a bigger chair. I don't sit behind the desk. There are no diplomas. I'm, I'm with regular clothes. Patient is. So there is an even ground. And then I really allow the patient's story to come out. And once I figure it out, then I have all these tools from decades, you know, a very sophisticated Chinese medicine, which I've learned from decades, uh, some Tibetan medicine, herbal medicine, homeopathy, uh, scar injection therapy, different intravenous therapies, uh, therapeutic apparatus, which I'm, re I'm really a disruptor on, on a global level. But all of this is with an open mind. All of this is really with looking at what depths the patient can be touched. I try again, now it's a little bit different. I try to really treat with my hands, you know, when I do acupuncture, I do healing. And it's really about really allowing the patient to connect with who they are and 
allows them to support their journey of healing. And the journey of healing, sometimes they will completely recover from cancer. Sometimes the cancer will win, but the person still healed, you know? Mm-hmm. They healed their trauma, they healed their emotional issues, and they felt like life came to completion. If we identify healing with getting rid of a disease, it's also a survival response. We are holding to a concept. Yeah. And as we do this, naturally and logically, the results are just better because there's less holding. There's better circulation. There's less oxidative stress. Yeah. You know, there's less notification in our physiological system, just like the story that you said. You know? mm-hmm. So it all works you know, in, in concert. And you know, often people come, I remember in some interviews, they tell me, can you tell us some of your like, best case series? I tell them, of course I can. But that's not really what's important. You should take a look at what happens to all the patients. Mm-hmm. What's common to all the patients that they all will do pretty much better than expected because of this integration. And that's the power of having a more holistic approach, which now because of technology and because of the tendency to use methodology, we lose the deeper principles and the deeper the understanding, the less tools we need to make a difference. If that's your sense and your approach, do you feel like this is an approach that's starting to gain traction across other health educators? Like, are you seeing this in medical schools, residency programs, and other ways of teaching? I think that more and more, I think in some medical programs as well, I think there are more doctors who recognize, it's interesting, either very young doctors who from the beginning recognize, or really very, very like the people at the top of the top, at the end of their career recognize, wow, there is something else here. And, but I think it is slowly coming into the system because the current medical system really is a burnout system. It's next to impossible. And doctors are looking for the place where they can more connect with themselves. And uh, it's not an easy journey being a doctor in the insurance-based medical system. It's a very difficult journey. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Maybe just to close things out for our audience then, what's your parting advice for folks that may be starting their healthcare profession now in the midst of COVID in terms of meeting the challenges of this moment? Connect to who you are. Take the time to find who you really are. Create space. Look at what really motivates you to go into the healing arts, you know? It's interesting. Uh, when I went to medical school in Israel in the, like 1981, I mean, financial reward was never even in our mind. There's nothing wrong about making a good living, but look, what really drives you? What really drives you to to do medicine? And stay open, stay humble. I mean, take in the learning that you learn. And remember, there are other ways of looking at our bodies, there are other ways of looking at our mind that may be valid, that I've been there for thousands of years. And if we stay open, then one becomes a better and a better doctor over life. If not, then we become worse and worse doctors over life because we get burnt out. I try to offer it in the way that I teach. I do a lot of meditation and healing. And I usually take, so my students are like a lot of cancer patients, sick people, a lot of psychotherapists and quite a few doctors of different kinds. Mm-hmm. And I teach everybody together. I'm a great believer of inseparability. I think that the professional boundaries are useful, but they're also dangerous. They create a distance between us and the patient because at 9 a.m. we are doctors and then at 5 p.m. We, we, we may be patients, you know? We all went through this. We have to remember this. 
So really connect with who you are, which what drives you. And look, remember, doctors have a lot of power. Think about what you are saying to a patient. Think how you are saying it. And listen to the patient. The patient knows the answer. We just need to let them tell us the story. I think that's fantastic advice. And I, and I hope that folks in the audience uh, can take a piece of that and, and really internalize it. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm Rishi Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>